Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Inner and Outer Reality in Reality and Outside. I'm your host, Sheldon Albert, and today with us we have... Meredith Nudo. Meredith Nudo. You have a very musical-sounding name. Uh, Champagne Albert. <laughs> it, it's uh, it, it's weird. It is a weird name. Uh, it's so the farthest back we know it's Portuguese, mm-hmm. and the farthest back we know is Panelva or Panelva, uh, and then it kind of evolved to uh, Panelba, and then uh, once it came to like America, then Panalber, and then uh, or Panelber. And then once my dad and his family moved to Texas, that's when the Texans went, Penalber. Ah. And so now we're the Penalbers, or the Penalbers. Uh, and so who knows? It could be something next yeah, it sounds, <laughs> 20 years. It sounds a lot like anglicized Portuguese now that you speak of it. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I don't like, uh, not the only thing, but the biggest thing that I don't like about my last name is that everyone spells it wrong. Like, uh, there's uh, some dyslexia that goes on in Penalber that people always move the L somewhere. So it's either Penalblur or pen, pen, uh, uh, some people even add, like, a T on the end, Penalbert, you know. And so it's like whenever I uh, used to do shows or stuff uh, and someone would, like, post my name, uh, it would be, like, misspelled or something. Aww. And Yeah, or, like, if I was in, like, a theater show and, like, they print out the posters and my name is just spelled wrong... It's so disheartening because it's like right. I'm trying to uh, get my name out there and they can't even spell my name right. And so it's like people can't even find me, you know, if like right. my name is misspelled. So that is frustrating. Uh, well, if you hmm, if you have a high enough profile then online, you could get to a point where the SEO would be like, Sean Penalbert, do you mean Sean Penalbert? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, just keep doing your own SEO work yeah. and your own stuff. And that way when people misspell your name and they're looking, they're like, Hey, that's Sean. This Sean's really talented. We need to go look up Sean. And it's, it's wrong. It's spelled wrong. It'll just go to your stuff anyway. And it might be getting close to that. Uh, because I, as far as I know, I'm the only Sean Penalber on the planet. I'm the only Meredith Nudo. Oh, high five. High five. Only one of our kind. Yeah. And so it's like when you Google my name, it's like you get all of the stuff that I've been in, like yeah. in Houston or my music or Instagram. And so it's a nice Google. So I may also, but that might also be um, region specific too, because you are Houston based. So you oh, might want to yeah. have somebody who, that you know, who lives in another city, try and look it up and see if that's also the case because it a, could be a re, yeah, it could be a regional algorithm. Granted, if they're in Houston, chances are they're probably going to be running a search in Houston. But if you, if you, if someone brings like a friend from out of state, so that would be something to experiment. Yeah, with. I never thought of that. Uh, that is definitely something I will try now. Um, so, Meredith, what is one of uh, what is a meaning of life to you, or do you have any meanings, or what is existence? All right. So this always sounds like a cop out about when, whenever I answer about the meaning of life or the universe or everything. I don't think there is one and I'm not that is not to say that life is meaningless Mm -hmm. what I mean to say is that I I don't think that I think that approaching it from a one-size-fits-all option is from a one-size-fits-all perspective is disingenuous yeah I agree I think that the meaning of life is on an individual by individual level yeah so and I would argue even to the particle level yeah even then I mean 
you, you, yeah, you probably could, especially considering we slough off all of our particles every seven years. This mm-hmm. ship of Theseus question there. Yeah. But, um, so that's, that's actually, like I said, it's my, it's, it's probably a cop out, but I also think that sometimes big cosmic questions don't have answers specifically because we are looking too broadly Yeah. and too big. There's nothing wrong with asking small questions. Yeah. And I think sometimes we're afraid of asking the small questions because we want to be seen as people that have big questions about big things. But that doesn't... You know, we've been talking a lot about music, right? Mm. Uh, up to this point. And I think about, uh, like, the Talking Heads album, songs about buildings and food. Um, they sing a lot about buildings and food. Yeah. You know, those are good things. And they're not singing about over big overarching wait is it is it talking heads or is it david burns solo stuff i should know these things too it's a little bit of both i think i'm also like just broiling because it's hot outside and my brain is fried um but point being we should be we we always want to be seen as like oh these big intellectuals asking these big questions but why can't we why can't we ask small ones or just be present yeah um Hang on, I'm looking this up because I'm gonna be I'm gonna kick myself. Building. Oh yeah, no, it's Talking Heads. I was right. Um. So, yeah. So the meaning of life is there isn't one. There are multiple there are meanings for multiple lives. An infinite amount, I yeah. would say. Yeah. And it's different. It's tailored. Yeah, it's tailored to the individual, and it's tailored even to the individual at different points in their life. Yeah. Your meaning can change over time. Yeah. Uh, it can change size, it can change shape, it can change scope, it can change direction. So, that's that's my answer. I'm sorry, I don't have anything super insightful. No, that to is share super that, insightful. Like the meaning of life is 42. But uh, <laughs> um, in that uh, of what you were just saying about how your meaning changes and your purpose changes and such, uh, in my funk theory, uh, I postulate that there is. Uh, what I would call a significance field, mm-hmm. uh, and basically kind of like a magnetic field or a gravitational field or you know fields that we don't quite understand. I think that uh, beyond the particle level, that there is significance in literally every uh, beyond uh, again beyond particles. And so it's just like the more significance that a particle or a grouping of particles has, the more that things of you know are drawn to it. Events are drawn to it. Uh, our significance field drew us to this moment right here. Uh, us sitting in, at this table outside of the Manil uh, talking about life. Uh, it almost sounds like you're speaking about, like, this is not an actual phrase. Mind you, I'm making this up as I go along. It almost sounds like you're describing something like a molecular charisma. Uh, uh, wow, uh, kind of, in a way. That's what it uh, sounds like. like it sounds, that's kind of how I'm interpreting it. The way that you're talking is that it feels like charisma on a molecular level. And maybe I just play a lot of D and D. And kind of, I, I I get what you mean. Um, that is making me think. I'm trying to like add them together because, uh, again, within the significance field and the way that I postulate how the funk provides each moment uh you saying that is 
essentially meant for me to build off of that, for us to build off of that. Yeah. And then everything will build off of that uh, either directly or indirectly. And so just processing all of that, uh, I enjoy that. Thank you. Molecular charisma. Uh, wow, you kind of blew me away with that one. Oh, thanks. Um, that's just actually that's just kind of how my brain put put two and two together. I'm not a particularly philosophical person, so when I hear things, I'm just like, oh, okay, this is kind of how I'm interpreting it. Well, that's kind of uh, what these podcasts are kind of about, or even my funk theory is essentially uh, we each. Uh, as human beings and as anything that lives or exists, we all experience our own perspective. We all right. are uh, created by our environments and our, our psychoanalysis and our schizoanalysis. Well, it's it's nature and nurture. It's yeah, the age-old it, debate. And exactly. The, and the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's both. Exactly. It's both. And so it's, you need it's, to stop arguing about those two things because it's both. And it's even more than that. Like, I would say that, like, that division of us arguing that it is nature and nurture or is leading uh, is misdirecting us from even further answers and I think that like let's say you know 20, 30, 100 you know to a billion years we'll find a third or a fourth you know and we'll uh, be able to harvest more words of how to describe what is happening and so what I am trying to attempt to do as with the funk theory is kind of unite that is mm-hmm. to uh, learn how uh when I am describing this thing, so tele, tele, uh, teleology is the how to describe phenomenon. Okay. And so I'm describing this phenomenon that we all experience of existence. We are all here. Uh, it, well, that's debatable. You know, it's like we can't say that we're all here, but like we are. We are right here. We're able to experience this moment. And so in that the way that we experience it is different. We're all completely different. And so just like when I was explaining the significance field just now, the way that you interpreted it was the molecular charisma. And so I think that it's so important for us to discuss that and dive in deeper of yeah. those semantics and just be like, oh, wow, uh, what does this mean to each of us? And then right. even step out of that. Like, uh, t- so the people listening to this right now, it's like, uh, they're interpreting it into a different way, and they're even like having their own significant well, you're, realizations. You're of basically it. a spider. What do you I mean? feel like you're a spider spinning a web. That's not an insult, by the way. No, yeah, I, I, but a spider spins a web based on so many different factors: the wind, um, the way that their body is feeling that day, um, what they've eaten, all all sorts of different factors. Yeah. But you, every every time you get a new input, you're basically spreading out a new thread. Yeah. To build your web. Yeah. And so what I'm doing is I'm, I guess, um, giving you, I don't know, like I'm a fly that's feeding you, so you can spin your web, and you have the energy to spin your web. Or or yeah, or any influence. Uh, yeah. So you're liquefying. You're currently liquefying my guts, processing <laughs> it into the, your metabolism. And then your body's like, hey, guess what? You can spin some silk right now. And you're like, yeah. And then you, you like make another like little section of your web. Yeah. yeah. And more people then get caught in it and you digest them. And that's not, like I said, it's not an insult. We need spiders. Yeah. And we need flies to feed the spiders, but we also need flies to help with decomposition. We need flies to help with pollination, things like that. So when I say these things, I don't, don't take it as like a predatory thing no it's i know a, exactly what you mean activity thing you are currently digesting my organs yeah and so uh as a spider uh t- 
to add to this metaphor, it's like I'm trying to uh, basically like breach the or bridge the gap between uh, spider and fly or spider and tree. You know, it's like yeah. how how do we how do we understand each other in this whole well, I become uh, the existence. Inter- I become the intermediary between you and tree because I give you the nutrients and the energy exactly. needed to connect to the tree. And we all do that with each other yeah. in this so greater in harmony. Theory, in your theory, the funk is the tree, and you are a spider. And I'm sure that there's other spiders. And eventually, the spider dies and decomposes, and then the little bits and pieces become maybe new spiders someday, or maybe new flies. So, you know, it's a it's that usual cycle of death and rebirth. It's the it moves us all. It is, it's, the, it's the everything. And so, yeah. uh, at, at some point, on a molecular level, we all become we're off the fly. We're all the tree, and we're all the the dirt. And that's what I would describe and the as the spider. Fun. At some point, and based so, on like this tiny ecosystem that we have going, is how I see it. So yeah, I'm the fly in this metaphor. In a million years some of the little bits and pieces that were once my body that has decomposed will reassemble itself into something else. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I agree with that. I wrote a little animation that hasn't been produced yet, but it's about a, uh, a dinosaur that dies and becomes oil that then gets harvested and processed and turned into plastic. And the plastic is used to make a dinosaur toy. Oh, uh, uh, that's, that's kind of how I feel too. Yeah. And then that process just kind of repeats itself in, in different ways, you know. Uh, energy just transfers; it's yeah. never destroyed. Well, yeah. And so. Uh, and mind, I, I'm going to tell the audience here, and I know that you know, I, I am not an engineer or a physicist. Yeah. I am. We're normal people. I am. I am engineer and physicist adjacent. So please don't come to me asking questions about engineering and physics because my my response is going to be just crossing my eyes and drooling. But I mean, uh, I don't know much beyond what I'm talking about. <laughs> that response could still be significant. You know what I mean? Like, even if someone were to come to you with engineering help and they ask the question, and you were to, you know, answer the response with crossing your eyes and drooling, uh, that might spark something. Uh, that was meant to happen in a way. It was uh, maybe. It's, it's both fatalism and predeterminism. It's like, uh, and so now it's like both of y'all. We're in that moment, and then you evolve from that moment, no matter what you did or do, you know. I'm going to cross my eyes and drool. Yeah. And, see, and it's interesting that you talk about predeterminism, because uh, I was raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. I was raised very Catholic. Uh-huh. So I always kind of, and it's still to some extent something that I, I have in me. I'm not, I'm not a believer, but I'm also not an angry non-believer. I'm just a, I don't care, be a nice person. Yeah. We're not nice person. I'm, I don't care. Be a good person. A good yeah. person is not necessarily a nice person and vice versa. Yeah. Just be a good person. Don't really care how you get there. Just be a good person. But, um, but like, so we don't have, we never had things like predeterminism or predestination because that's not part of Catholic yeah, theology. It's, it's very free will. It was extremely free will. A lot of it was very much God just was kind of like, well, here you go. Have a earth and just kind of step back. And was like, you kids have fun. And a lot of the stories about God intervening were more metaphorical yeah. than literally God stepping in and being like, you're all jerks. Yeah. Um, because like the story of Noah and the earth flooding, the Catholic interpretation of that is really not about a literal like entire earth flood and God being like, I'm mad. 
it was the way of the people at the time interpreting um, massive flooding along the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. At, because to them, that was the world. Hmm. The entire world did seem like it was flooding, simply because that was most of what they knew that in that time frame. Yeah. Um, that makes... I, now, don't quote me. Don't quote me on this. I do not speak Hebrew. Um, it, it, but I yeah. want to... But I, I do think that I have read... If anyone here does speak Hebrew, please feel free to, like, correct me. I'm not knowledgeable about this, but from what I understand... Um, the word for land and world in Hebrew could is basically very much the same. So it, it also could have originally read like the land flooded. Yeah. And not the world. Yeah. So but like a I kind said, of lost in translation. Yeah. Kind of thing. So Catholicism takes a very I don't want to say liberal because that would imply that the Catholic Church is liberal and yeah. that's not a thing. Um, but it has a very metaphorical yeah. interpretation. And so to me I never got anything about predestination it was always like you're just you can just do whatever you want and the consequences that you get are not divine retribution or divine punishment it is literally the consequences of your own actions that have led to this i think it's both so i so i never and, and that, so so the idea of predestination i i don't know so i'm not going to say that it's wrong yeah. because i don't know yeah i don't know i like, i don't like i've said i like to look at things a little more micro these days because I'm happier that way than looking at the big giant what are we all here for questions because yeah. those don't have answers um but so I still am that I so by default I I approach things as almost purely free will that doesn't mean that I I'm going to inherently stomp all over the idea of predestination because I don't know. Yeah. But my brain is definitely wired to just be like, you know, woohoo, it's all me. And it's not that it's a selfish, me-centric thing. It's it's just a... Your nature when, and nurture. Yeah. Like how... when, when bad things happen to you, it's not because God said that they were supposed to happen to you. It was either because someone else's, someone else abused their free will or you yourself did something to abuse your free will that resulted in consequences. And sometimes it's just really bad luck. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to be dismissive. I'm just sharing how the way that I was raised yeah. shapes how I'm Influences viewing that. things. Yeah. So I'm not, my brain isn't going to necessarily always go to predestination when I hear something. Uh, it's always going to be like, it's, it's going to be more slanted toward free will. So where I bridge the gap in free will and, and predeterminism is essentially like... So as Einstein has... As Einstein proved in his theory of relativity that time is relative. Yeah. And so we're the, we are the past moving through the present, becoming the future, uh, yet we're always the present. Uh, and so the future is already happening. And so it, it, it's like if you look into the sky and you see the stars... That's the future. You're looking into the future because those stars are already. Uh, it takes what eight minutes for the sun, you know, to get to us. So we're looking at. Well, are we looking in? No, I think we're looking in the past if we're looking at the stars because some of those have already burned out. It's both. Oh, gotcha. And so, uh, essentially, uh, as I, I postulate that uh, we are within, uh, we are processing into the future, and so it's like we have this kind of level of predeterminism that things are kind of chosen 
Uh, but I would argue that all things are chosen. So, like, literally every multiverse or every little thing can happen will happen. And so uh, it's just that in our reality, in our personal reality, oh, gotcha, gotcha. we only experience uh, one line, one path and so direction. So do you, do, you, do you subscribe to the theory? Um, is that, I, I find multiverse theory extremely interesting. Um, I don't know if I believe in it or not. I think my ultimate conclusion is I can only affect the, the reality that I'm currently residing in. See, and I, I will, I will, I will ponder things in any kind of alternate realities when I am able to encounter or perceive or understand them. But right now, I can only concern myself with the one that I have. So I'm not gonna. Is that? And that no, kind yeah. of goes back to why how how micro I'm trying to be. Yeah. But do you subscribe to the multiverse theory that like that that different universes branch out based on decision making? So you're yes. saying like like there's a universe, and I'm, I'm there's a universe where like. I'm going to punch this old lady who's trying to cross the street or I'm going to help her across the street. So there's a branch where you punch the old lady and a branch where you, and then that splits into two realities. And then those realities then, it's almost like a branching yeah. out. Does and that, even more than that. So like there, you punch this lady and you don't punch this lady, but you also uh, slap this lady. You dance with this lady. You do literally every single option uh, that we can both imagine and not imagine. Yeah. And so... Uh, and then that all creates the difference. Exactly. Okay. But you're in that moment. You, and so it's kind of a Schrodinger's paradox of uh, at every single plank second, like literally every snapshot of the universe, those decisions are happening. And we are experiencing only one single path. Go okay, but they're yeah. all kind of... Uh, they're all breaking out. It's just we only experience our surreality See, rather than all the surrealities. I think that's why you would enjoy... This was mentioned in a previous podcast, but Yatasha Womack's um, Afrofuturism. Yeah, I definitely. Because that was that discussed. There is a very deeply xenophobic and racist story that gets handed around sometimes about showing. I believe it was a tribe in Ghana. I, I apologize for not remembering the name. Um, it's been a while since I've read the book. But there's a deeply racist like anecdote that goes around about people showing members of a Gahanian tribe Star Trek hmm. and them thinking it was a documentary and people were like haha look at them they think it's a documentary look at how primitive they are and that's not correct yeah that is absolutely not why they thought that it's not because they were lacking in sophistication it's not because they were no and, and it, like I said that's a deeply racist and xenophobic interpretation yeah. of it the reason why they thought that is because to them they were like this this is a possible yeah. reality that we're looking at. This is it's a, a different possible, experience. This is a different yeah. It was not. It was not. It was just a the way that they perceived time had some overlap with what you're talking about in terms of Einstein's theory of relativity, where the past, present, future are all happening at the exact same time, but we're only able to perceive it in a linear way because we're because to them it. they just saw it as a look into a possible future. Yeah, or something that was going to happen, or something that, and and. That is not at all primitive or unsophisticated or something to be mocked. Yeah, it's just where they're at. It is absolutely where they're at. And it's a valid perspective because that's how they perceive the world. And there's nothing to laugh at Yeah. about that. That's yeah. not funny yeah, it's that a, they thought that. It's only funny if you're, like as, again, xenophobic and racist, racist. and not trying to yeah. meet people where they are and learn about why they feel like that you are you you only understand your experiences or things that yeah are exactly i think that was a really lovely interpretation and that's yeah. a story that's told in 
Yatasha Womack's Afrofuturism book. And I uh, love, the history of that. I love being confronted with stories like that. Because it's, like, it's like, you don't think of those things. And also as... Uh, those are anecdotes to hear that... I don't know. I don't... Did you grow up in Texas? Yeah. Those are anecdotes that you hear in deeply xenophobic places like Texas. Yeah. And, and being a white person, it's like... Uh, you don't hear that education in like other white areas no, and stuff. No, because and I grew up in a heavily, heavily white suburb. You don't learn those things because, to the the education system that I'm in, it didn't matter. Yeah. Because, but I would have loved to have learned something S- like same. that. Same. Yeah. A good cultural education is necessary. Yeah, uh, it is so important. You may to... not ever leave where you're at. You may want to stay put and never travel or never, but at least learn. Yeah. At least learn. Don't keep your world... Like, your world may physically be small, but don't let your internal world be small. Yeah. Because when you're small, you do things that are small. Like, laugh at people who think that Star Trek is a documentary. Yeah. Uh, And and that's not even what it was to them. It was just the way that they perceived time. Yeah. And then it goes into accountability. People who are... They don't hold themselves accountable enough to get educated. Yeah. And so then, uh, when you don't do that, then you definitely block out any accountability with deflection or anything. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that. Uh, we saw it largely in the Trump era uh, of just, uh, and we're still experiencing it. Well, I was gonna say we say that, but here's the thing: like, I, I got, I got a little bit of flack because I wasn't always raging against Trump on the socials and all that. But here's the thing. Obviously, I'm very vehemently against what he stands yeah. for and everything. Obviously. But the thing is, to me, I didn't talk about him all that much because I thought he was a symptom. Yeah. He it, was not... He yes. was not a... He's not a magical... He didn't magically show up in racism. He didn't magically show up in misogyny. He didn't magically show up in xenophobia no, and been, transphobia. He's been raised he, up by these things. He. He was a... He is a symptom. Yeah. Getting rid of him was not a cure. Yeah. And I don't feel, I feel like just talking about him constantly and at what, I don't think that that gets at the root of the problem. Yeah. My, I would prefer to talk about the, the factors and the ideas that got him to where he was gotten. I completely agree. And that was why, and people were like, you're not critical enough. I was like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, look at how much I criticize all of these things that his followers stand for, but getting rid of him doesn't get rid of these attitudes. Yeah. I don't think that that... It's like, and if we're sitting here talking about him or the things that he does or, or stuff, which I mean, it depends on how you're dissecting things. But if you're focusing on like Trump or, or like anyone that you're you know dissecting a, sim- a symptom, you know, then you're not. What is the true progress in that? It's like you're yeah. just sitting there talking about this thing, and someone's going to come in and be like, uh, let's say a Trump supporter, for example, yeah. that, that they're going to come in and they're going to argue on the side of Trump. And they're going to think that you're insulting them no matter what because they like this person. And then you can't uh, come to progress because you're both divided right there. And I just don't believe in cult of personality. Like, I'll make jokes about, like, Beyonce is the most perfect individual ever. But, like, I don't truly believe that because she's human and you can't put a person on a pedestal like yeah. that. But I I fundamentally disagree with cults of personality. So, for me, that's always going to be off-putting. Yeah. I don't... Like, I like a lot of what AOC has to say, but I don't like the cult of personality that's been built up around her. Yeah. I, I know exactly what I think that what they're yeah. doing is they're putting her so far up on a pedestal that, that eventually she's going to make a mistake yes. and fall off and yes. be absolutely destroyed for it. Of course, being a woman of color makes that even harder and yeah. makes it even worse because she is already facing two degrees of, of having to work harder 
than her white male peers. Yeah. So, so any kind of failure that she has, I don't, and that's the thing, I don't, I don't dislike her, but I greatly dislike the cult of personality that's been built around her because it doesn't leave her room to be human. Yeah. Uh, so I was listening. Same I with Bernie Sanders. I like Bernie Sanders. I think there's a cult of personality around Bernie yeah. Sanders. And I, I voted for him in the primaries. It's not that I dislike him or dislike what I've seen him speak live. But the cult of personality around him is terrifying to me. Yeah. People uh, should be allowed to make mistakes and be human. Yes. They should also be able to learn from their mistakes and not be surrounded by a cult of personality that will not let them move forward. Yeah. It gives them no incentive to move forward. Yeah. Because they're like, well, I'm always going to have my fans. Like, Sanders had some problems. Yeah. Sanders, I think, had a lot of issues with reducing way too many things down to class. Mm-hmm. And especially his followers. He had a lot of, of followers that I, you know, that I referred to as brochalists. Because everything, it's not yeah. my word. It's no. not my word, but it's 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 what they were. It's what they're called because they don't look at, at other factors. They only looked at class. It always yeah. boils down to class with them. And yes, class is a problem. But how do we solve the issues? But you can't, you can't have class solidarity without racial solidarity. Yeah. Without gender solidarity, you can't have that. And that was the thing is that they just feel like, oh well, we're all united under the working class. And like, no, we're there's united. other factors too. We're united. When we're united, not just yep. when one thing is united. And so like... Well, the Soviets were actively courting um, black Americans during the civil rights era on the grounds that, well, you know, look, there's a lot of civil rights stuff going on, but like, look, is there real class solidarity? Because yeah. we have that here. Now, I have a lot of critics about criticisms about Soviets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also feel like that was, that in and of itself is, was very manipulative because when they, the black workers that they were targeting in the United States came over, they faced horrific racism. Yeah. Because the, the, the Soviets had horrific racism yeah. issues. There's racism everywhere. The Soviets were responsible for a lot of uh, deep anti-Semitism in Eastern yeah. Europe. And yes. So, I mean, but they, that's reducing everything down to class, you end up with situations like that. And so, personally me, um, the way that I see progress in uh, equity, in justice, and being united is essentially like, it seems that, or at least as I'm observing, it's like, uh, let's, for example, take reparations for African Americans or black people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's like, if we really want justice for all the bad things that anyone or like not just like America has done to blacks but like literally let's say the world has done to slaves right like if we really want reparations for these people uh, or us uh, I think that the best way to give that uh, progress or that help and assistance or be there is by doing it for everyone not just soloing out a specific race or class It's, I don't. I don't blame the black community for wanting to stand up specifically for the black community. No, uh, absolutely. Right. But what I'm saying is, is that I feel like for for issues such as reparations, the discussions have to be taking place separately because the situ- the circumstances are different. Yes. It, but, the reparations for slavery are not going to look the same as reparations for indigenous people. It's not going to look the same as reparations for the Chinese workers that were exploited while while building the. Uh, the trains. I am for them. I am for reparations, but I also feel like the circumstances dictate how they need to be done. So there is not a one size fits all. 
solution for it. And I believe that it is up to the oppressed people to decide what it is that is best for them and how to best move forward. So I think that in cases like that, I don't mind looking at it in a siloed perspective because the circumstances are so different each time. Because um. chattel slavery is not the same thing as the genocide that we we inflicted on the, the indigenous Americans. It's not the same as how we treated the Chinese workers that came across um, banning Chinese women from even entering the country for a long time and um, forcing the men to build trains or the, the train system. It, it's not, it's, I do agree that reparations are necessary for a wide range of situations, but I also think that the solution has to be on a situation by situation basis to make sure that justice is truly served. Yes. Because the injustices were, were not the same every time. And so what I mean, uh, and I agree completely with, it, it's different for everything. Right. But again, I think that the best option is like being there for everyone instead of I don't know how to word this, but essentially it's like, yes, uh, we each need a different type of justice for injustice because we've all been affected differently. But it is that. It's like we all need these justices, you know. And so it's like if we solo out one single specifically and we're just like, let's focus on this area, you're dismissing all the other areas. And so it's like it is a part of all of that. And I don't think I'm trying to I, I don't think that necessarily focusing on one area is inherently dismissive of others because you can care about more I, than one agree, thing at once. I think that especially if you yourself are deeply hurt, you're gonna have to try and you're, you're it's gonna make sense that you're gonna try and fix the hurt that's closest to the heart. I feel like as long as you're not actively hostile um, that that's I guess what I'm trying to say uh, now that I'm like processing further is that uh, equitable opportunity. Everyone should have more opportunities to heal and to do better and uh, I guess kind of socialism in a way, you know, and it's like, and if we yeah uh, if we give more, one person or one group uh, or a class or a race, if we give more opportunity to just that, you know, then again, you're, you're making the other areas yeah, but kind the thing of is, nobody, jealous or envious. Nobody from an oppressed, no oppressed group is asking for everything at the expense of other oppressed groups for the most part. Agreed. I mean, there is Agreed. definitely, there's definitely issues and things, but on the whole, most activists and social justice groups aren't saying, give this to us, but only if you screw over this other guy first. Yes. Like, that's not how, that's not the thing, is that... Most social justice groups, when you ask, they may not be simpatico about approach, but mo they're not. Most of them aren't interested in throwing each other under the bus over it. It's. It just depends on the like. I would argue that right now whites would uh, are not not whites, but racist whites are very angry about like just people getting better opportunities like blacks getting better opportunities like to get into colleges or more scholarships or but any that's other race not the, but that's the thing is that the, when you're so used to everything going your way anything that that is trying to level the playing yes, field you exactly. interpret it as oppression when that's not the case so if they get mad at it tough shit yeah that's how i see it i mean no i don't 
So, like, I, you know, I see, I audition for a lot of voiceover parts, and there's a lot of stuff that's like, we're only hiring women of color for this role. We're only hiring women over 50 for this role. So what? Yeah. That's great. Cool. Make opportunities. Yeah. I'm not going to be mad at that. That's not, to me, that's not a loss of an opportunity. That is someone, that is a casting director that to me is saying, hey, I want to make sure that I'm making space. Yeah. That I'm, I want to make sure that when I create characters of color, that the people behind them are people of color. Yeah. I want to make sure that this is a nothing about us without us production. Yeah. I respect those people. Yeah, I agree. I don't look at that and see, this is one audition I can't do. Oh, I'm so scandalized. Who cares? There's projects that I can't audition for because there was nothing open to white performers. I don't care. I'm excited to see that that project is coming to life and that there's other people that are being lifted up. So I'm not buying this any equitability initiative is oppression to those of us who have privilege because that's not the case. Yeah. It, it, it's an effort to try and level the playing field and there's some sometimes there's right ways to do it and wrong ways to do it. But And I'm, I, I'm obviously paraphrasing um, just a common phrase about it looks like oppression. That's not that's not what's going on. The existence of opportunities for people of color does not oppress white people because there's so many other opportunities yeah. that we have available yes, to us. I agree. And I have so much available to me as a white person that if I look at I, I you know, I and I've also lost opportunities um, for voiceover parts to trans women. I don't give a shit. I really don't care. See, that's that why is awesome I, to me. That's why I think that I love I love that there are more people that are going up for parts and getting these parts. And that's why I think that you're a better person than most. And, I, I, and you're better and you're taking the actions and you have the thoughts of progress. And there's so many people who are just like completely the opposite, you know? And I, I think it's just so harmful. And it's like, how do we, well, how do we reach those people? Because it's like a lot of cancel culture is basically like, Let's take those people and we'll cancel them. We'll get rid of them. We, they're not involved. You know, I'm glad that you brought this up. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Because. I think isolation is so harmful. And well, so when you, when there's like, let's say your cousin who's like, you know, like super pro-Trump and everything. Uh, and I don't then, think I have any cousins. Like, uh, <laughs> meta- I know, metaphorically. I know. Hypothetically. And so like, let's say that you know someone uh, in the past, like, let's say like eight years or so that like you now are no longer friends with because yeah. politics divided you. I think that that isolation is both... Uh, now, if you're trying to get out of a toxic environment, like, yeah, you're healing and healthy, but, like, also, it does limit... Uh, or it kind of... I will eliminate hateful people from my life. I will not eliminate people who inherently think differently. Yes. But I will eliminate hateful people, and I am I am not apologetic for that. Yeah. It is not for me to educate the hateful. It is for me to be to educate the people that want to be educated, that yeah. want to learn, that are that are of honest opinions. But I don't feel like I owe the willfully hateful and the willfully ignorant anything. I am not the per- the sort of person who can communicate with them. I but I wish anyone who attempts it luck. Yeah. But and- I don't feel like I. And let's, I want to talk, you brought up something like cancel culture and I have a very, I have a lot of opinions in all caps about that, Mm -hmm. if I may. Yeah, absolutely. So are you aware of the origins of canceling, of what that started off as? Uh, Maybe, maybe not. Inform me. Okay. Tell us about it. Canceling started off as a, as a term 
among um, the black community, particularly activists. Um, it was it's used in AAVE online. Um, it was meant to be people who repeatedly harm others, but refuse to be held accountable. Uh, yeah, and yes, that was what that word. That is that is the origin point of the word. The origin point came from African American vernacular English and had a specific meaning for a specific situation. Yeah. Then the sort of people who culturally appropriate AAVE to seem cool mm-hmm. or like they're on, you know, they're, they're edgy because they talk with the slang, you know, they kind of picked up on it and kind of broadened the meaning. And when they broadened the meaning to be more like this person kind of started messing up a little bit. Oh no. And then like, yeah, kids, you know, it, it was used as a joke among some people. And then it was not used as a joke among others, but then you get the reactionaries that stepped in and think that it means something entirely different than what it really means. The fact that, that these are people that are raging against African-American vernacular English that was meant to be self-policing and hold people accountable is not lost on me. Yeah. The wow. same thing happened with the word woke. Yeah, yes. Is that the word woke had a very specific meaning to the black community. Was picked up by people who did not know what the meaning fully was because they, they, they thought it was just internet slang. Mm-hmm. And it became a whole thing. And now the word is ultimately meaningless. And the reactionaries raged against it. Yeah. And again, not lost on me that it is that it originated in the black community. So things like cancel and things like woke were inherently helpful things and helpful tools at first that it has been used and that has been used and abused and run into the ground by bad actors is what's it has completely lost and i'm angry about that because because canceling the the core idea of it and what it means is that we will not continue to let this person harm anyone else because they have shown that they don't care about not harming anyone else. That is not a bad thing. So there are some people that do dedicate their lives to helping bad people and dangerous people and people that make very bad and harmful mistakes. But some people are better left to being handled by professionals who can do that kind yeah. of thing. I I don't And we don't have enough. It's it's kind of like when people ask members of the black community to sit down with white supremacists and talk, just talk to them. No, that's not the black community's responsibility. It is, it is the people that are able to communicate. It's other white people that are able to communicate with these groups of, of white supremacists that know how to talk to them, to bring them out of it. That's their responsibility. I am not one of those people who can do that. I cannot talk to a white supremacist and talk them out of it because I, my approach would be too angry and too aggressive. Yeah. But there are people whose entire lives are dedicated to deprogramming people that are cult members. And that's what that's what white supremacist groups are, is yeah. they're cults. Yeah. Those are the people that's their responsibility. And so to me, people people can be uncancelled, but they there's some people whose minds and actions are so extreme that they can only be quote unquote uncanceled in the right situations in the right hands but yeah. not everybody should be the one whose hands are holding them 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, it's I, I'm not I'm not I can't do I can't do cult deprogramming. It's probably more dangerous to have me talk to those people. Yeah, I know. But what a mean. professional or someone who was themselves once a white supremacist that eventually quit and saw the light and gave up and is now working. There's just people like that. Those are the people who who can who can be the who can be the help there. So, and I I think that people will be quote unquote uncanceled when the people that they've hurt are the ones that say. Yeah, because it's not your choice. It's I not feel up like to you. justice has been done. So yeah. yeah, that's that's where I'm at. It's. I believe that it's a real thing, and I believe that the reactionaries are are screaming about something that they're screaming about the wrong yes. thing. They're not saying you're abusing the concept of accountability to the people that are doing it wrong. They're saying, well, any kind of asking for accountability is inherently bad. <sighs> like there's yeah, that guy yeah. that who's Kentucky Derby horse that they found that that horse was drugged. The horse that won the Kentucky Derby last week was drugged. Oh wow. And the, apparently the owner has been known to drug his horses. And the guy got on TV and was like, well, cancel culture's trying to come after me. And I'm like, you, no, you drugged your horses. No, you're being held accountable. You're being held accountable. That's the thing. But, but they, but the mm. reactionaries have taken away what that means yeah. to the point where now, and, and I hate that it is a very deliberate oratorial strategy to dodge accountability. Yes. Is, is discrediting. Yes. Very honest and very helpful ideas behind um i think yeah. you should you would probably like reading adrian marie brown's work um she has a book uh let's see it's um there was we not we will not cancel us which i haven't read the full thing yet i read excerpts from it um and then there is also um let's see let's see i'm sorry i'm looking up the name uh, I definitely enjoy. So, where, what, how I'm processing is essentially is like, what cancel culture originally. Oh, here we go. Emergent strategy. So, emergent strategy and we will not cancel us are both very good reads about exactly what I've been talking about. Yeah. Uh. But I completely agree with like the original idea of like, what cancel culture was was like. Because we're not canceling. We're not. Yeah, it wasn't a, even a culture. Exactly. It's like we're not what, canceling you. We're holding you accountable. Yeah. What people think of as the quote-unquote culture was a small handful of very loud, very hyper-competitive teenagers on platforms like Tumblr, who are very, who are very new to things like social justice, yeah. and interpret their their way of their way of showing it to the world is turning it into something of a competition. So I can be more offended than you. I can be, I can cancel someone faster than you, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is a very, very, very small handful of very naive, and very angry up. and very loud people that were used as, and, and but these, the small subset of people were used to then discredit everyone that had an actual legitimate concern and idea. That's the, that's what angers me is that, they're reacting against a very small, a very small group of misled kids. Yeah. And the kids on Tumblr, oftentimes, I don't engage with them because I don't like to talk to minors online. But there's people that, that, that are good at that. Yeah. 
they're good at teaching hey this is how you know there's different and ways holding to, them accountable yeah yeah i'm not that kind of person but um but i'm angry because it is to me it is intellectually dishonest to use very naive social justice kids most of them white yes by the by yeah online as we're going to take you kids and we're going to discredit all of the black activists and community members that have been using this term for accountability. I am so mad about that. It's like they're canceling cancel culture. Basically. But yeah. cancel culture is not a thing. Yeah. It's, it, it was... The whole quote-unquote debate is so intellectually dishonest to me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm angry because I'll, I'll read an interview with an author or a comedian or someone and the first fucking question is what do you think of cancel culture etc and most of the time most people's responses are kind of balanced like we're non-committal some people they, they get up all like up in arms about blah, blah 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 and i'm like you're raging against something that's it's not even that's not even what it is like you haven't been doing your research how can you have an you, you're you're voicing such an ill-informed opinion because i think what it kind of feeds into is people are afraid of being canceled rather than I mean people are already afraid enough of being held accountable yeah but you know what I've been canceled at least twice yeah it, it, yeah and you just you gotta you know I just I just you know I I look into it and I'm like okay this is where I screwed up yeah. this is how I can fix it this is what I'm gonna do and like you are an accountable person yeah because so no I, I it's just it's just people being irresponsible little brats yeah. and not wanting to, they're wanting to void their social contract. Yeah. That's all it is. So, I mean, no, I, I'm not, I don't know. That's, that's where I'm at on this. It's, I'm looking at it from a, from a linguistically historical perspective. Yeah. But I would say that like, uh, in that, in that action of like, and you know, the event of the, of that we're talking about, I'm yep. not going to get too into it. Please don't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But I would say that, like, you did such a wonderful job at at being accountable for something that, like, was so, like, out of your control and so dumb, really, that I would say that. But, like, you were, you well, were, like... I'm going to uh, specify for the listeners. And you don't have held to. Held accountable for something I didn't actually do. Yeah. But was told I did anyway. Yeah. But and you I, still, you well, still were just like... Well, because I still, there was still ways that I made mistakes. Yeah. And you saw and that. I and looked at, so I respect that so much. While I will not be held accountable for things that I do not do, and I refuse to be held accountable for things that I do not do, I will be held accountable for the things that I do. Yeah. And so what I did was I looked into that situation and said, what, what did I genuinely do wrong yeah. here? And what can you learn? Did it? I genuinely do something wrong here? I worked with therapists. Yeah. I talked to other people and was like, where... This, in my mind, this is where my mistake was. Yeah. But where do you think it was? What can I do better? And I did make mistakes. Yeah. I will not deny that I made mistakes in that situation. I did not listen well. I did not take um, audience into consideration at that time. Those are two things that I can fix. So that's what I did. Yeah. That's yeah. what I worked on. And I think that, again, I respect that accountability so much. Because, I mean, like, you were... You were canceled for something so, so dumb, and you you didn't deserve that, you know. But what what good would ranting about that? I mean, yeah, I, I vented. Yeah, exactly. I definitely vented to people because ever, anyone's going to be upset yeah. about being held accountable for something that was not actually done. Yeah. 
but venting was not the solution. Venting only helped me give voice to my feelings. Yeah. But venting didn't wasn't going to solve anything. Venting didn't fix where I did actually screw up. So I did actually go through and, and I'm still learning. Yeah. Yes. I, and I think that's the greatest accountability, accountability. Is a con- accountability is a continuous process. Yes. Um, but thank you. That actually means a lot to me. Um, you know, I I can be simultaneously proud of myself, but also acknowledge that I have a lot of ways to go. I don't believe that I need to be ever resting on my laurels. Yeah. And I think that you is... never can. I think the most accountable people have that perspective. That is like, you're always growing. You're- well, and I'll say, I'll say this loops back around to the fact that while I am not Catholic anymore, and I have a lot of very serious issues with the church, being raised on free will, I think, helped a lot with that. Because I'm oh. seeing things mm-hmm. like, oh, well, I wasn't predetermined to make this mistake because I'm a screwed up person. It was, I made this mistake. My free will and my ignorance led me to make this mistake. And therefore, it is my responsibility to accept the consequences and absorb what I need to absorb to make sure that the mistake is not repeated. And I think that's where so the that's- predeterminism comes in is that you, this moment happened so that you would be you right now. Like, it shaped you. Possibly, you know? yeah. And I mean, I'm not dismissing that, but I am saying that from my frame of mind yeah. and my frame of reference and how I interpret situations as someone who is more based in free will, yeah. that was how I saw it. it is, that makes a lot of sense. I made a, cho- I, I made a bad choice. I wouldn't even say it was a bad choice. It was just like... Uh, it was an ignorant choice. A misguided. or There's a better semantic for a thoughtless what happened. Choice. It was just it was in the moment. Thoughtless choice. Yeah. It was not a wise... Okay, maybe it was a not a wise choice. Yeah, I guess we can go there. But I made a choice. Yeah. And it was not the right choice. And it was a choice that hurt someone. Yeah. And that's another thing, is just the way it was reacted to was poor. No. But also... The reaction was valid. Yeah, that... that oh, man, see... No, the, you, what I'm saying is the reaction was valid. I agree. The being lied about as to what actually happened was the was the point of contention for me yeah yes that is the only i i the reaction i have no qualms with i have no issues or anger because i think that it was a valid reaction based on those that's so mature but i do have a right to be angry when i am lied about i I completely agree i completely agree and i am misrepresented yeah that is where the anger with that whole situation was yeah but what good was anger yeah I mean, yeah, I felt it, and I I, get, I made space for those feelings. And once I feel like the rawness of those feelings had been baked out, I was like, all right, my energy, now all of this fire is ash. What do I do with this ash? I can use this ash so, to fertilize. Fuck yeah, Meredith. To fertile, this ash can fertilize growth. Yeah. So I, I don't want this discussion to sound like I am letting myself off the hook. I'm not. Yeah. I, I respect that I so much. I am not off the hook. And I, I, I don't really want to talk about the. And I, it's we're talking around something that I don't want to get into too much detail. Yeah. So I apologize to people that are kind of left out of the... I, I think they've heard exactly what needs to be said about it. And, I mean, even if you don't know what happened, it, it's just a situation. You know, it could be literally anything. But, like, the way that you handled it, uh, I, I think is... 
Oh, well, privately, I mean, there was a lot of crying and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Of course. Uh, it, <laughs> because but, I'm like, human. I'm human. Yeah, exactly. But I had to make space for what I knew was not healthy. Yeah. I think you handled first. it. And I, acknowledge, I had to go to a safe space, like a therapist, to be like, I'm angry about XYZ. I think XYZ elements of my anger are irrational. But let's find where the rational anger is. Yeah. The irrational anger, what can I where can I go from here? What can I do with this irrational anger? The stuff that I was irrationally angry at was what I fueled myself with. And I think that's incredible. Like, honestly, I, I don't think a lot of people would, you know, have done that or taken that time or energy. You know, they've just been like, oh, fuck you guys, you know. And, but you, I don't even know how to explain it. I, I just respect it so much. I think that, like, I've dealt with enough people whose response to accountability is fuck you guys. I have been yeah. that person. I've been that person before. I didn't spring out of the womb being like Being this. accountable. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't do that. This is a, this is, the, that was an end. It's lifelong progress. That was a point from a long journey of not being good at being held accountable. Yeah. So for me to say, oh yeah, well, that's, that was how that I handled that situation. But why don't we look at some of the situations leading up to that point where I was not yeah. good at it? Yeah. Be, well, again, sucking at something is the first step to being kind of good at something. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I, 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 will, I could fill the library of Alexandria <laughs> with all of my mistakes. You won't know them because it burned down, but I know them. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, are we... I don't think we're even near the airport. We're no, like, we're about no, we're about twenty minutes from Hobby. But why are they flying over here? Because we're on a flight path. Jeez. I live right in this area. Those are the it's it's it's, it's takeoffs constant? and landings. Wow. It's not that bad. You get used to it, but like when you're recording, it's different. Yeah. Well, yeah, but um, no, it, no, this is that's actually pretty normal because a lot of planes will begin their descent or work on their ascent because we're twenty minutes from the airport. Yeah. True. 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 I would fly out of Hobby more if the flights that I needed were mostly leaving out of Hobby. And cheaper. Yeah. But no, I gotta go all the way to Intercontinental for everything. <laughs> Work always, they're like, what is your preferred airport? And I'm like, Hobby. And they're like, okay, cool, we booked you for Intercontinental. And I'm like, dang it. It's on it. the opposite side of Houston. I mean, it doesn't matter. They pay for the. Yeah, true. They pay for the lift and. They pay for the lift over there anyway, so I'm not complaining. But it's still like, if I have a if I have a 5 a.m. flight, I gotta get up at 2 a.m. Oh, <laughs> I gotta yeah. get up at 2 a.m. The airport doesn't open until 3 a.m. Ask me how I know. Uh, so, oh, it was experience. I'm guessing. It, yeah, got there early. I, I, wow, I didn't know, know that either. I thought know, there was like 24 and, hours. No, there's that. You know, you gotta get to an international flight recommended four hours early. So I had a flight that was leaving at 5 a.m. I was like, oh, dang, I should probably get there at, like, 1 a.m. And not even open. I got there, and nothing was open. It was just, like, you could sit in the you could sit in the terminal before the space with the, uh, before you go through the TSA line and check in. That part was open. So wow. I sat there until 3 a.m. I guess, I guess airports got to close, too. No, most of them are 24 hours. What? See, that's what I was thinking. So I'm it's saying, like... why the hell? Intercontinental closed. That's so weird. Is it in major international airport? I don't understand why it's not 24 hours. But yeah, so I just sat there for two hours. There were no chairs, so I sat on the floor. There's got to be some conspiracy in that. I was really lucky that like there was a guy in there that had a really cute dog. So at least I got to play <laughs> with his dog. But like now I know, and I'm like, well, 
next time I have an international flight, I can just show up two hours early. Yeah. And not four hours. You know, I'll get TSA pre-check or something so I don't have to worry about going through the line. But that, yeah, that, that was definitely a thing that happened. I slept so much on that flight because I was like, I had to get up at like midnight. And I had just, oh God, this was hilarious. I had just gotten back at 7 p.m. the night before from a different flight. Oh my gosh. So I was, I was in Houston from like 7 p.m. So I went to bed at like 7.30, got up at midnight, left for the airport and was there at 1. Jeez, that would wreck me. I slept. I had a 19-hour flight ahead of me, so I just oh, slept so, you just so slept much the whole time. on the plane. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, it's about an hour. So oh, I, yeah. Sorry. No, uh, this was a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. Thank oh, you for thanks. being on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Uh, where can the people find you, follow you, or any plugs? Yeah, I am Meredith Nudo, uh, M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H, Nudo, N-U-D-O, on Twitter and Instagram. My website is hardcorenudot.com, H-A-R-D-C-O-R-E-N-U-D-O-T-Y.com. And so the same spelling, and that is for my public-facing Facebook page. You can follow things like my uh, voice acting work, my writing. Uh, I sometimes write about food for Houstonia. Um, I've got some other writing that's coming up, actually, for a relatively large outlet that I'm really ex- excited about. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Um, I'm voicing Krista um, in Wickwood Mythical Academy from Dreamhive Studio. Uh, you can find them on Twitter and uh, YouTube. It is the, the um, trailer is about to air. And then after the trailer, they will make an announcement as to when the first episode will be up. Uh, oh, right. So I'm excited about that. Dreamhive is great. I like working with them a lot. Uh, I'm voicing... Uh, the most violent of the school bullies. Yay! That'll be fun. Oh, she's great. I love her. All right. Well, thanks for being on, Meredith. Thank you for having me on, Sean. It's appreciated. And thanks for listening, y'all. Love you. Aww.